your dose of the Sideshow Hustle podcast. Discovering world-class side hustles and the hustlers behind them. Tune in for exclusive interviews, tips, tricks, and pitfalls so you can learn, start, and win. Here's your host. Here's your host. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to the Sideshow Hustle. This is Matt. What do you think when I say short-term stays? If you're like me, you think Airbnb. You'd be surprised to know that Airbnb isn't even the top two marketplaces for short-term stays in Australia. Short-term stays, if you aren't aware what they are, this is basically people with a house, an apartment, a bedroom, a shed, a caravan or glamping site that they have for rent for a night or a few weeks. They list it on a marketplace for a short-term rental, holidaymakers, and it has severely disrupted the long-term rental market. It's changing the way our societies operate. Many councils are struggling because they're losing local residents. They can no longer afford to rent in the area because the money you can make through a short-term stay exceeds that of what you can make with a long-term rental. All of this change equals opportunity. Enter our hustler. Today's hustle, we will explore how our hustler determined his market size. We'll, we'll deep dive in all the numbers and you'll, you'll see real-time how we do it. We'll talk about his minimum viable product. So that being the quickest way he can sell something where someone will want to buy it, but not necessarily with all the bells and whistles that would have slowed him down to achieve it. And our hustler is somebody that is a natural salesperson. They have what you'd say is the gift of the gab. And you would expect someone like that to not really be able to handle failure or rejection very well. But you'll learn pretty quickly that this business model, he will sustain 90, 95% of what he does and who he sells to, he will be rejected. And that's okay because the scale and size of the market that he's chosen to run with means that 95% of the time he can be rejected. And if he hits 5% of the time, you'll be astounded at some of the, the numbers that he can, um, he can achieve. Without further ado, let's meet our hustler. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we've got John Ellis. He's got an investor property background. We'll deep dive into all of that later. He is one of my best mates. Why do I admire him? In our 20s, he was one of the first of our peer group to basically quit his full-time job and go solo. And off he went into all of his own startups and side hustles. I've got to watch him over the last decade work under immense stress and pressure with investors. You know, he's got family life, kids, he's everything you can imagine in terms of stress, John has had to deal with. He navigates life with purpose, strength, authenticity. I've always respected about how he's gone about things. He's had an epic side hustle that's taken him on a wild adventure which we will get into, and he's got a new side hustle, which is primarily what we're here to talk about today. Welcome to the podcast, John Ellis. Matt, what an intro. Whew. I don't know if I'll live up to that, buddy. Well, I think it's, I think it's all, all true. I wouldn't say if, if it wasn't true. The um, big picture for the everybody listening, you've talked some context around what you've done. What was your career sort of starting off as a young man? Sure. So I grew up in the, in the country, 
like you did, Matt, but I grew up in country New South Wales. I started my career selling golf balls to, to golfers that I found on a golf course and started my first business when I was a proper business when I was 14 cleaning fish tanks for doctor's surgeries and the like around town. Then I got into, into banking, as every, as every good country boy does, fell in love with marketing, moved to Melbourne and landed myself as the youngest marketing manager ever of a publicly listed property development company. I didn't last very long in corporate life because as, as most people that listen to this podcast probably are, they're hustlers. I was a hustler and, uh, and I found myself running my own ad agency at, at 26 years of age. I grew that extension co to being an agency of 25 people at its peak, doing a heap of a heap of work around town for hospitality brands like the Hilton, major property development projects, huge land estates. It was a really really great business. And then when I was actually on my anniversary, I started my first <laughs> proper proper side hustle which is a company called Investorist, which grew to four countries around the world. We raised over $12 million and grew what is still today the world's largest off-plan property business-to-business marketplace. Yeah, I'm really quite quite proud of that. So that's been my career history to date. Along that, I've bought some investment properties, which I've converted into Airbnbs, been absolutely beleaguered by coronavirus in that business. And out of that, out of that hardship, have created my next side hustle, which yeah. I think we're talking about. So, I guess on that note, this I guess let's just deep dive straight into explaining what this new side hustle is and how it, I guess, is different than anything that's out there. What what other ideas did you sort of explore to get there? But I guess yeah, first of all, just describe it. Cool. So. I have some really nice properties in St Kilda, which I'm lucky to have, and started looking to rent those out. I actually rented my penthouse on the beach in January 2020, which was six weeks before COVID first hit. I realised very, very quickly that short stay was the way to make a hell of a lot more money out of those properties than getting a long-term tenant in there. So context, like, like... Example, like a nice house, you know, penthouse at St Kilda on the beach would rent as a permanent rental for? Probably about 1200 to 1500 a week. What can you make as an average out of short-term rental out of the same property? I'm currently charging $1,250 per night. Okay, so with an occupancy of? At the moment, it's it's hard because it's COVID re- impacted, but we're running at about 40% occupancy. To put that in context, December, we build just over 20 grand, January about 17, February's on track to do about 14, 15 grand. Okay. So it's substantially more than a long-term rental. A hundred percent. It's two, two to three times more than a long-term rental. Yeah. I guess it comes with the elevated level of sort of pain in terms of you know managing cleaners and just property management that you normally wouldn't have to and i guess you know that probably leads into where you ended up with this particular side hustle yeah so looking at that business um, i had a couple of 
I had a couple of problems through my journey with with Airbnb or vacation rental rentaling. Firstly, was just getting that occupancy level up and that rate per night up. So I was initially just listing on Airbnb and you know I had a reasonable experience there. However, very quickly I realized that I was totally in the hands of Airbnb, which was not great for someone that wanted to ramp up his nightly rate and get his occupancy up. Yeah, so John, you have a couple of properties you decide to go the short-term rental path. You have some problems with it. I guess, what were the sort of the nature of the problems you had with short-term stay and how did that lead to ideas for side hustles? Yeah, sure. So one issue is whilst Airbnb was going really well, I, w- I quickly discovered I was totally beholden to the behemoth that is Airbnb. And, you know, that's a, it's a reasonably nice behemoth, but if you fall foul of, of Airbnb by cancelling a guest or otherwise upsetting the Airbnb gods, you can ser- seriously suffer from that. And how, how uh, do you also being Well, look, we're, we're a super host. We're very fortunate that we've got 100% five-star ratings. However, we've had to cancel guests for various reasons across COVID and Airbnb, you have to fight very hard not to be penalised. And so you can have your rating suffer on Airbnb and then you'll get less bookings. So your, your, um, ad, also your, speaking, your ad is not featured as much, your occupancy rate begins to drop and basically you have less money in your pocket. Correct, correct. And if you're solely focused on Airbnb, then that, that can be a real, real problem. Secondly, you running one of these businesses, you're... Your whole focus is occupancy versus and nightly rate, and it's a bit of a balancing act. And so what you want to do as as an Airbnb host is you want to get your occupancy level as high as possible whilst maintaining your rate to the highest amount because obviously you've only got a finite number of nights you can book. The more nights you have booked, the higher the price, the the more money in your pocket. And so it sounds like some hosts fall into a trap of chasing higher occupancy but dropping their pants on the rate. And so they're sort of, they're not maximising out their return. Well, we did at the start. So I'd been out and spoken to professional management companies who told me I could achieve maximum of 600 per night for my property. I, I didn't believe them, but I, I did have this constrained vision in my mind of, oh, well, I've been told it's 600 a night, so maybe I'll only price it at 700 or 750. And that's kind of where I started. And it's not until recently that I realised that it's worth well north of a thousand dollars a night, um, and and I should be maintaining that rate, and and I get great quality guests, and they treat my property well, and all in all, everything goes goes quite well. So early on in my journey, I invested heavily into uh, marketing systems, being a marketing company, so channel management solution my own website, allowing me to drive direct bookings. And I, I ended up getting through that journey, being able to achieve less than 50% of my bookings through Airbnb and just over 50% through other channels being Booking.com, Goda, TripAdvisor, VRBO, which is Stays or Expedia, and, and close to 15% direct through my own platform through some marketing efforts that I did. 
And and this is a good thing too because like you are diversifying your income streams from away from a single point of failure, like, and you're also reducing your overheads, right? So you, you the actual booking fees and stuff, like for those that don't aren't aware, what sort of chunk is Airbnb taking out of your pocket? So they take a minimum of fifteen percent out of your out of your pocket. Plus, there can be other charges associated with it. If you look at the other platforms, some of them are as low as eight percent. Um, and others uh, can be can be higher than twenty. The the complexity across them is when you manage the discounts that they provide in there as well. So it's not just a commission. Some will also put you up the rankings if you offer guest discounts. So for example, Booking dot com on paper, if you don't have a strategy to deal with it, on paper is thirty five percent cost of of booking, albeit. It's not really when you manage your rates properly. But to put it in context, Booking.com is by far the leading booking platform for accommodation in Australia. It's Booking.com number one, then own website or direct bookings number two, and Airbnb bookings are somewhere down, like within the top 10, but they're, they're certainly not top 10. Yeah, I think for me and the, the average... Sorry, list- they're not, not top five. I think for me and the average listener, I think you'd think that Airbnb is the main one. Like, I, I would not think to go to booking.com to book someone's house in an Airbnb style fashion, short term stay. Yeah. And most people don't, but you've got to understand that the way people book travel, they look at, okay, I want to stay in a location because I, because I might be vaca- having a vacation there or I might have business there or any other thing. So I'm staying in that location then what are my options for staying in that location? How many bedrooms do I need? Do I need a, a kitchen? Do I need any other services? What, what's, the, what's the experience that I'm after? And then they'll go to the web in general to find a suitable solution to fit that need. And you know they'll search maybe on Airbnb, maybe on a booking.com, maybe on a, a TripAdvisor and a Goda. But certainly, they'll, they'll probably more than likely search on Google. And Google's got this meta, meta travel system where you search for accommodation in, say, St. Kilda, and then a whole heap of options come up for you. So meta travel and how you get into that is also pretty significant for people that are offering accommodation. Yeah, okay. So you've got some houses, you've got some like apartments, houses, your airbnb You've decided to diversify your income stream across multiple platforms. You've got your own platform effectively, like just through your own website for the accommodation, I presume, which people would have seen before with like, you know, they see some house out in the country and there's just a website for it. And then how does that lead to the side hustle? Yeah, so I think when you have to create your own solution, you, when you've got this necessity, you go and you go and research it and, and create something. So, out of my necessity, bore me creating my own ecosystem that allowed me to generate bookings and and increase my my revenue. I had a look at. I've spoken to a number of my friends who are also hosts, and all of them just just list on Airbnb. And it got me thinking about the, the overall ecosystem. And I did a little bit of research in the market and I, 
I discovered that only 15% of properties listed on Airbnb are actually listed on other booking platforms. And so I decided to do a little test and I looked at just my peers in and around St Kilda and it's right, there's hardly any of them that are listed off Airbnb. Which is incredible and because then when you, based off your experience, more than 50% of your bookings are coming outside of Airbnb, which means other hosts are leaving a lot of value on the table, right? That's correct. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And not only are they leaving value on the table, they're leaving themselves exposed to Airbnb and they're also upping their cost per booking because they're not accessing any direct bookings. So I identified there was a real need and a, and a serviceable market. And so I set about thinking about what could be the solution to, to solve that. And I came up with a concept to, to deliver, to use the tools that I've got to service a raft of hosts and I realized very quickly on that journey that the tools that I were using were suitable for a handful of properties but probably not suitable for thousands so I set about finding tools that were suitable for thousands and starting to build out my own ecosystem to help people I've been and and run sort of tests with with friends and associates and people that I know that have Airbnbs and I've modified and adapted and getting close to being ready to launch my side hustle. In two or three sentences, like I I have the sort of benefit of knowing what, what you do. For those listening, they're probably still a bit confused exactly what it is. So in two or three sentences, what is the side hustle? Like what's the elevator pitch for it? I'm launching two brands, Host Extension and Ellis Curated. Host Extension is a service company that will allow Airbnb hosts to get bookings from all of the other online travel agencies in the market and do so without expensive software and with no setup costs. So effectively, a host can supply me their listing and through host extension, we'll start delivering them bookings from other parts of the the web. Uh, And then Ellis Curated is a customer-facing component of that. So it's like the own website and will provide hosts the ability to have their own online presence where they can get direct bookings at a much lower, lower fee and also get discounts by booking on other other hosts' sites that are part of the network. Okay. So I guess, yeah, to summarise, it would be you are helping other hosts diversify their income streams away from Airbnb because only 18% of Airbnb hosts have done that. Your own research with your property shows that you can achieve greater than 50% of your revenue through non-Airbnb platforms, therefore increasing your occupancy and your your nightly rate, maximizing your return out of your uh, business. It sounds like it's somewhat painful to manage across multiple platforms. And it's, it can be horrendous. Okay. It's like when you first set up, when you first set up this, this solution, if you try and do it yourself, you trawl through so many software companies that promise to deliver the, the earth 
And only the very, very expensive ones do actually deliver a proper solution. And, and when I say very expensive, my first solution, which was nowhere near at the level that is required now, was $144 per month just to, just to get the software solution. It just it didn't, it didn't live up to requirements. So it didn't link with every, every online travel agency. It didn't provide the level of automations that you will need when you're communicating with guests. It just it was undercut. And you had to do all this set up myself. So every platform has got different terms and conditions, different formats. They want their photos loaded up. I, I can understand having done the journey why only 15% of people do list off one platform because it's not easy. Yeah, I understand. So you are somebody that is brimming with ideas. You're, like Whenever I speak to you, like I guess for everybody that's listening, you and I are great friends. We talk regularly and we pitch each other ideas all the time. So there almost wouldn't be a week go by that we don't pitch each other an idea of some sort. So, again, I think every hustler out there, they have one of two problems. I can't think of any ideas. I'm I, I, idea kind of void or I think a lot of people have just too many and they fail to start. Again, you, you don't have that problem. You have started and you've started more than once on your ideas. So of all the ideas you had, and you had, you had plenty, you had an idea for monitoring foot traffic coming in and out of the front door. So you could see like if someone was going to have a party in one of your, ho- in one of your houses, like, so you've had a, lots of ideas. How did you come to rest on this one? Like, was it criteria based gut instinct? You know, did you do a full financial plan on this? Was it a passion project? Was it skills-based? Skills-based. So I looked, at, I looked at the problems that I've solved for myself running my Airbnbs. And you're right, parties was one of those problems that I've pretty much solved. Um, and you know, I, I bought a $2,500 artificial intelligence people-counting camera, the same grade as they use in airports. To, to count people and I configured that and uh, and now and I told everyone that's booking now that I have this camera and now lo and behold I no longer have party problems but you know I look at that and I go well am I a security expert no was I able to procure and set up a AI people counting camera yeah I was I was but it's not really my stock and trade so I'm not really expert in that and it's probably not the sort of business that I should create a business out of because I'm not expert. And I guess, like, if you were to but think then, of, like, if just really off the cuff, and I'm thinking aloud here, what are the sort of side hustles in and around that? You could say, well, we could formulate deep integrations with the camera to get alerts, to notify hosts through the app that the number of people that have walked in the door exceeds the people that were on the booking. And so at 1 a.m. or maybe at 11 p.m. at night, foot traffic goes up, alerts go you notify the people that they've got too many people, it's time to get out. But that level of integration with the camera, this requires a technology person and a bunch of programming, version controlling, and a whole raft of stuff that for your average Joe, and I'll call you average Joe, you look at that and go, eh, this is getting too hard too quickly. And this startup is probably, someone could run with that idea, but they're going to either need to do the, the deep technology stuff themselves or spend tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars paying a third party to do it for them. Absolutely. And look, as you know, Matt, I, I dodged up my solution by a, a, unique, <laughs> a unique email address 
connected to an app on my phone that triggers an alarm. And then if that alarm gets triggered, I have a look manually and then I press a button on a on an internet in an internet 24 volt switch. So, you know, not exactly a sophisticated solution. I could be I could create a sophisticated solution, but again, that would be costing probably hundreds of thousands of dollars and and and, and not really in my yeah. not really in my wheelhouse. Yeah, okay. So again, I'll I'll sort of summarize it all up to this point. So John Ellis, the marketer, ends up, and primarily in property, ends up owning some properties, becomes a short-term state host, ends up experiencing a bunch of host problems, decides, well, has a look at all the side hustles that are available to him. You pick a couple, and these ones that you've picked are based on the fact that you have some skills around this area that you can tie together a solution that isn't going to cost you the earth. I guess that's important, right? Keeping costs very low because ultimately you don't know whether it's going to be a huge success or not. And you don't want to drop a hundred grand and realize that it was just a waste. So you're chasing some form of a minimum viable product. And lo and behold, you pop out after a fairly short period with a, a product that a host can come along to now and decide If there's a host listening right now, they could come along and say, well, I'm going to go to host extension and I'm going to push my property beyond the realm of where I currently advertise. Yeah, correct. We're we're probably probably two weeks away from having that minimum viable product. Yeah. And you chose the idea based on the skills that you have and you can implement to minimize your costs. You're two weeks away from starting. How much criteria went into this in terms of the dollars and cents? Like you are generally quite a numbers-driven person. So did you kind of sit down on the back of a napkin, figure out, you know, size of market? Like, And, and let's, let's walk through it a bit. Like you said 18% of people list on other platforms. How many, how many lists? No, no, no. So, so 15% list on other platforms, 85% only list on Airbnb. Yep. So how many properties in Australia are listed into Airbnb? There's about 360,000. So your addressable market is? Circa 300,000 properties. Yeah, about 300,000. And I guess like... In Australia. In Australia. When, what, what do you... What, what are, how do you set the the goals here? Like, you, do you go? I want I want to capture one percent of that, ten percent of that. So I, I didn't set a goal in that way. What I set was gates for myself to achieve certain milestones. So my first gate is twenty participants to beta trial the program with me. So that's my first milestone. Is is that's what I I want. My second milestone was around getting what I think is a good level of scale to make Ellis curated as the website work, which I think is in the ballpark 200 to 250 properties. I think by that stage, there should be enough of an ecosystem that it should self-generate some demand as opposed to me having to stimulate it all with, off, with off-site marketing. So hosts talking to hosts, word spreading, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 Yeah, okay. And 
do you have did you calculate sort of how much you were looking to you know approximately make out of a host like you know airbnb would probably look at it and go okay there's this many properties this is the average occupancy across australia if we can make a hundred bucks or 50 bucks a night per booking australia as an addressable market is this much per year did you do those sorts of numbers to think of like what is the theoretical max upside for yeah of course of course so so the average the average property that we're looking to target does about three hundred dollars a night is their nightly rate. So I'm not just looking at very high end properties like mine. I'm looking at a, a, a spread and and about three hundred to four hundred a night was the was the amount. So if you go three hundred by three hundred and sixty nights a year by 0.6, so sixty percent occupancy is the standard occupancy. Those properties are probably capable of achieving around sixty four thousand dollars a year. Our model allows hosts to continue running their own Airbnb account so we don't take over their Airbnb bookings, so we don't make a margin on those bookings. We only make a margin on bookings that we generate for them and our margin will be in the, in the ballpark of 3 to 5% after our, after our costs. So per host on an annual basis, we should be making around the $1,200, $1,500 a year per property that we that we onboard if we perform if we don't perform then we make no money of course yeah 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 okay so i guess if someone's sitting there going oh man this this all sounds quite technical this you know i I wouldn't even know where to start with this because like the i guess you've got to come at it from the perspective of a host so that's the unique part here is that you're hosting you are hitting problems you you are solving problems, therefore you have a product. I guess key skills that you have that allow you to put this side hustle into play. I guess starting with technologies, you know, this is largely going to be a technology solution. What sort of technology did you have to put in play, or at least have to have a basic understanding of to get this over the line? And and it's not necessarily about you know, your intellectual property and your vendors and stuff like that. It's more just like what technology could you not live without? So obviously the Airbnb platform, but like there's obviously other other bits of technology that you've utilised here that you have a base understanding in that have allowed you to do this. Yeah, so I think the key, there's, there's four key modules of, of technology that are needed. One is your channel manager. So that is a solution that allows you to publish rates and availability to different online travel agencies. So the channel manager being there is, what handles all of the integrations to bookings.com or Airbnb or Agoda or wherever, yep. Correct. The second, the second most important part of it is a, is a CRM. So when you, when you mentioned before it's a technical thing and, and people could be overwhelmed, from my experience doing prop tech, developers are not very, usually very tech savvy and onboarding a developer onto a tech platform requires a, a nice, seamless onboarding journey. And so exactly the same for, for host extension, we want to make the ability for a person to join that platform be as simple as them saying, yeah, I want to do it. And, and then perhaps a, like a 10-minute onboarding session with us. So to, to get someone from yes to a 10-minute onboarding session and then everything done you need to have a good delivery system. So a CRM, or, and 
and project management tool is very important there. Then we also need our our you know our online booking technology, so a website effectively for for LS curated, and the and the fourth the fourth component is is marketing automation to allow us to talk to the the meta the meta portals to be able to drive bookings from our own network and for people from our own database from the members of the public and also marketing automations to allow hosts to book other hosts websites at a discount and also be allowed allow them to drive their own bookings to their own website page and and have that also happen as a discount so some fairly sophisticated marketing automations yeah there and some of these tools, tools we should put a name to some of these tools because like i think there's a commonality of these tools across all different side hustles. So I think one of the ones you use is WordPress. Yeah, WordPress is, is just a, a nice, simple, flexible website that you can, you can build out and it allows heaps of integrations. The issues with WordPress are that it's a bit slow and it's not, it's not super scalable. So when you start getting thousands of concurrent users, you're going to have a problem there, mm. but it's a really nice... It's a really nice, fast, cheap tool to build out and deploy and learn with. Yeah. I feel like from if you're a side hustler and you've got you know limited time and you're looking to do your, your side hustle, spending a few hours to understand WordPress, install it somewhere, either on your own hosting or you know, some other hosted platform. I think WordPress.com even does it. It's a worthy thing to try because whether you want to go into e-commerce, whether you just want to share information, like the sheer number of plugins and integrations into WordPress pretty much would enable almost any business. So less than 10% of side hustles wouldn't use WordPress. I feel like more than 10%, uh, more than like 90% of all side hustles could use WordPress as their, their base foundation for their website. Yeah, absolutely, especially for a beta test. Like, it's not an enterprise solution by any stretch of the imagination, but for something that you're going to deploy, get out of the box, get a couple of hundred, even a thousand users on, it's more than capable of doing that and scaling up to that really cost-effectively. And AWS has got some really good tools that allow you to make it reasonably fast as well. So AWS is Amazon's cloud product, and you have, I mean... It's worth noting that, like, I don't really consider you, out of all of my friends, like a huge techie guy. Like, you understand technology. Well. Oh, Matt, I'm a, I'm a genius. <laughs> what are you talking about? You understand how to use technology for business. <laughs> but historically, you have outsourced your deep technical requirements to techni- technical people because you re- realize that your strength is in sales and marketing. And Correct. in this instance with the hustle, you've gotten hands-on. You've fired up your own Amazon cloud solution, you've deployed WordPress onto it so that you've got some element of scalability and then you're figuring out all the integrations to all the other platforms. So I think like, and I don't want to be disrespectful at all, but if you can do that, then pretty much anyone with two fingers and a keyboard should be able to do a large chunk of that. Unless my, unless you're my mum, but yeah, anyone but my mum and a, and a 
computer should be able to do it. Yeah, your, right. your mum could do it if she rang you up and said, John, how do I do that? <laughs> and then you have That's true. a four-hour frustrating conversation where you, you end up with teeth marks <laughs> in your iPhone at the end of it. Correct. Yeah. All right, so you've... That's the journey. You're, market, you're this marketing property guy. You've got these properties. You've got a host solution. You've, fought, you've got all the technology in place. You've done a proof of- And probably the two other bits of technology that, that people should know about is the Google suite. So when you are talking about marketing automations, Google Tag Manager runs a heap of stuff like that. So you don't need to invest in, in like really complicated attribution systems. And then- CRM, I think one of the best, most cost-effective, easy-to-use CRMs out there is ActiveCampaign. ActiveCampaign. Plug-and-play with, yeah, it's plug-and-play with most things. It runs heaps of automations. They're meant to be straight marketing automations. However, I use it to automate whole, like quite complicated workflows. And it does it really, really nicely. Okay, the jumping back one second, you said Google Tag Manager. I have very limited experience with it, but my understanding is you it's a way of all the clicks and stuff that people are interacting with your online assets of tracking who's clicking where on what so you can figure out where all the traffic is coming from. Is that right? Yeah, correct. And and you can have you can attribute certain things. For example, like if use case is Matt has a property that he lists with Elmer's Curated, I give you your own unique page, which is schmitty.com. Yep. And you send your traffic to Schmitty and it all is attributed within the tag manager. And then someone goes on and books your property. Using that system, I can determine that the person that booked the property was sent originally by you. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like how to, how to view the referrals really. And where, yeah, and where the clicks came from. Yeah, and then you can get quite sophisticated stuff out of it that you can feed into your accounting yeah. and make sure that you charge the right amount. Yeah. Okay, so you did mention that you were about two weeks away from launching. We are the 15th of February now, so you've literally just time-boxed yourself to the 1st of March. What have you got left to get to launch? So I've deployed my website and I've got my channel manager solution talking to it now. And I've realized that I'm a bit out of my depth with customization of WordPress. So I've had to engage a WordPress, a bit more of an expert to do some more customizations for me. How did you find that? Once I've got, they actually work in one of my other businesses. So it was fairly easy for me. Okay. So you're leveraging Um, off existing resources. Yeah. And then... I have got my short list of people that I want to target to be part of the part of the first wave, and I've used my res- internet resourcefulness to find their contact details. And my plan is in about a week and a half to start giving them a call. Okay, so in i'll have to refine my pitch obviously of what i do you did it quite eloquently i might listen back to this podcast and go what did matt say i did oh yeah okay that yeah i guess yeah you get so wound up in the detail sometimes that like the um trying to get your head around the elevator pitches takes a while to sort of 
undo the deep diving that you've been living for? How long have you been doing this? Just before Christmas I started. So what's that? Uh, Probably around the 15th of December, so December, January, two two months. Okay. So we're, we're eight weeks in. You've got two weeks to go. Yeah. Your proof of concept should be up. Look, Matt, I'm an eternal optimist. I always say two weeks and then it ends up being six. So we probably should be a bit more realistic and say we've got four to six weeks left to go. Okay, so that sounds like Elon Musk. Elon Musk does these sorts of things. With you know, I'm still waiting for my Tesla Cybertruck. It hasn't arrived. So is there any other tips or tricks that someone out there has got a side hustle Maybe they can't pick an idea. Maybe they've picked an idea, but they just they keep ex- they they want the perfect solution and they keep delaying their launch because they're, they're just never quite ready. Maybe they're sitting on the fence and they're like they got an idea, but they're not sure whether they should try it. Like, have you got any advice for like how to you know minimum viable product, keeping your costs low, all that sort of stuff? John Ellis' advice on starting. It's got to be Nike, Matt. Just do it. If you, if you think it's a decent idea, just start. And I'll give you an idea of the, the how minimum viable product my start was with this side hustle. My first thing that I did is I used Google Slides to create myself a, a very rough pitch deck, which just outlined what I planned to do and what, what the benefit was. Now, my deck was five pages long and I called five friends that do Airbnbs and I said, I want to pitch you an idea as though you didn't know me and I want your feedback. And I just went and sat in front of them. I had coffees and, and beers and pitched them. And out of the five friends, all five of them actually said to me, you know what, even though you're my, if you weren't my friend, I would do this. I like it. Yeah. This would solve problems, real world problems that I've got and I would do it. Yeah, okay. So that's, you've, you've at least seeked validation. Validated. Yeah, validation that the idea has legs. You've got, to, you've, got to do, you've got to do validation in your ideas. Like if you don't validate your idea and you spend money, you've got rocks in your head. So you're, you're saying there like you should just do it, but somehow in the background before actually just doing it, you should do some level of validation where if you get it kind of right as you describe that maybe 80% of your target people that said yes might actually do it therefore does that make sense yeah do those five but it's not it's not 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 even necessarily that like you might be trying to solve a really big problem and and you just it's, it's a such a complicated problem that you can't actually validate it without spending a whole truckload of money and that's, that's fine too, but you've got to validate market fit for that product or that solution, that problem. Um, you've got to know that you've got a real problem that other people have and that they're willing to do something or invest something to fix that problem. You, you and I are quite blessed in the level of access we have to people with varied experiences. Just, I, I'd say it's a product of basically being out there and working and hustling for 20 years. We meet a lot of people. Some of these people have gone and do extraordinary things. I put you in that class. So access to people isn't necessarily a problem that we have. 
but it is a problem that a lot of people will have. So I'm a, let's say I'm 21 years old. I've got an idea. How any, do you have any recommendation for how I might find the people to validate my idea? It's exactly what I'm doing for my test users. So I don't want to onboard, well, I will be onboarding my, a few friends as my test users, but I want more than five people to be my, my sample. I want another 15 people in my sample. So I've just, I looked them up. I found people that I wanted their properties on Airbnb. I then used some basic internet tools to find out who they were and what their details are, and I intend to give them a call. So, yeah, okay, that's interesting because you're effectively going to call. And it'll be an, it won't be a sales call. It could be a nice call. Like I'll call and say, hey, Matt, I'm a fellow Airbnb host. I've got this bit of a crazy idea. Can I have 10 minutes of your time? Um, you know, I don't want your money. And then hopefully they'll like it as well. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. So you will pitch it, hey, look, we're both hosts and I've got an idea. We're in, I'm in the same area. Um, you know, I'm really interested in some of your feedback. You're going to lay it on, right? You're going to basically try to get this person to sort of open up. And, and they're a good litmus test because they don't owe you anything. And if they don't like it, they're basically going to say, go away. And you might get a few of those. Hopefully, most of them. I'll get heaps of. I'll get heaps of those. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's the, rea- the reality is, I'll get heaps of those. Yeah, and that, that's probably worth noting because a lot of people will think, "Oh, this guy, look at him. He's he's a natural salesman. He's been doing it for twenty years. He's he knows how to talk to people. He's a he's a born salesman. He's got the gift of the gab. I'm screwed. That's why this guy's a winner. And in reality, what you're saying is. Actually, I'm going to knock on a whole bunch of dead ends and I'm just going to keep going until I get enough people to listen to me and then I get their critical feedback and hopefully if I can convert some of those to customers, I'm well on my way. I think in reality, out of my list of people that I've found and generated, I'm hopeful that one in 10 will go ahead. Yeah, okay. That's what, I, that's what I'm hopeful my conversion rate will be. Yeah. So I'm expecting to have 150 no's. Yeah, which is, it's a very important for someone that's thinking of a side hustle because people don't like rejection. And you're effectively just said 90% of people are going to reject you. And you're looking at that as like a positive. You're like, this is actually a good scenario. Like, yes, there's a bunch of people that won't listen. They don't understand it. Maybe you've done a poor... Uh, job explaining it, whatever the reason is, that, that maybe they're going through the middle of an ugly divorce. Like there's a whole raft of reasons why this occurs. You don't take it personally. It's just cold, hard numbers that you're only looking for a certain slice of the market. You don't have to convince everybody. And once you've got it down, yeah, correct. you know, you've, you, and, and over time too, each of these rejections, you're going to get like, hey, that's never going to work because of this. And all those things are going to either help push your product into a different space or might validate what you've already done. It'll help you build your pitch to alleviate those concerns. And you, you, this is all going to be morphing and changing as you go through, right? Absolutely right. Look, let, let, let's, <laughs> let's run down the rejections and the numbers. If Let's say at the moment I'm banking that I'll, I'm hoping that I'll get one in 10 to say, yes, I'll give it a try, right? 
Now, I think I'll get one in 10 because I've got a unique scenario where I'm calling someone and I'm in the same city as them. I am a host. I've got experience. And, and I, yeah, as you said, I'm a, a pretty decent salesperson. But let, let's just run it up the flagpole and say, okay, well, let's say that I actually can achieve a one in 10 conversion of properties. We said there was 300,000 on Airbnb. Hypothetically, if I was able to get 30,000 and out of those, I'm charging $1,200 or I make $1,200 a year out of, that would be an incredibly big business. Yeah, it's $36 million a year if you get all of them. Yeah, which I'm not going to get. There's just no chance. So if you start a side hustle with an idea of what, the, what your TAM is and what you think you can achieve in terms of your conversion of your TAM, and then you go, well, that's a $36 million a year business if I get one in 10, you're probably, you're probably kidding yourself if you think you're going to get one in 10 for your initial calls Sorry, one, and your one initial in, pilot. I, just, I did that as 100%, so that's the $36 million. So if you get one in 10, it's a $3.6 million business. And I guess this is really important stuff for someone starting up because if your theoretical maximum that you could make out of your business... No, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong, Matt. Am I? So, so yeah, so... 300,000 divided by 10, which, was, which is one in 10, is 30,000. 30,000 multiplied by 1,200 is 36 million. So you're spot on. Oh, okay. So that is 10%. Yeah. So let's say we get 1%. So let's say I make, 150, make 200 phone calls and I get two people saying yes. If you start to amplify that out, then you're still at a three point six million. You're still at a three point six million dollar business. So it's still a and so a business that yeah probably worth hustling for. Yes, and I think you are hitting the nail on the head here. So abstracting away from your particular idea and just looking at the process, the overall market size is three hundred and sixty million. I think it could be if you if you got everybody on Airbnb that isn't already listed on a different platform. 300,000, multiply it out, you're at 360 million. That's never going to happen. But that is the addressable size of the market. You could argue that capturing 10% of that would be somewhat reasonable. So that brings you down to 36 million. Then your brain says... I think that'd be a spectacular... Look, I don't think 10% you know, of the I, market is I realistic because your, I think... Then your brain says, screw it. If I just get 1%, I'm at 3.6 million. So now... You have to make 100 phone calls. If you can convince one of those people to sign up and then you amplify that out, then potentially there's a $3.6 million business. Now, what is critical, and this is your, your brain immediately jumps to it, so does mine, is how do you get to that one person in 100 without having to make 100 phone calls? Because this is where the scalability comes in, right? And your marketing automation. It does, but you know what? You'd, you you could even do that with with salespeople if you if you had to. So if you think about it, you go, okay, well, what what sort of call velocity could a could a person do in a call center? Well, they do about a hundred calls a day, sign on one person a day. You you'd, you'd get there, you'd get there if you had to. But obviously, that's a bit of a mugs game. Yeah, and I guess what you're saying there is you could you could outsource the 100 phone calls to get the one. Now, because it's recurring revenue, 
you're actually going to take a bit of a loss on this because paying a salesperson to do that is going to be a fair amount of money. But in the lifetime of the customer, you would hope that you recoup your investment many, many times over, making the whole thing worthwhile. And that's that's worst case. That's assuming no automation, no ability to, you know, generate buzz, get people talking, use databases, and basically get that one in 100 to one in 50 or one in 20. Well, exactly what you said then is get people talking is exactly what the business model has to be. So for, for, my, for this business, every, as I said to you, I host properties on Airbnb. I've got five friends that also do the same. So what, what you need to do or what I believe I need to do is tap into some people that want to pilot it. I need to do a really good job. I need to refine my systems and processes so, this, so the platform works. And then those 15 people that are piloting it with me, 15, 20 people, go off and tell 100. Yeah. And I guess, too, if they, it spirals out from there, it balloons, it's, it's exponential because if you are delivering awesomeness, each one of those people that drops might bring in two others because hosts tend to know other hosts. You know hosts. Other hosts know other hosts. Like, it, it's kind of how hosting works, right? Yeah, correct. You've got to deliver awesomeness. Yeah. If, you don't, if you don't do it and it's not awesome, if, if it's not awesome, you don't gener- generate bookings. And if you don't generate bookings, you don't make any money. And this platform has me off paying all of these services regardless of whether I sell. So I've got to sell. Yeah. Um, I've got to sell room nights. I think we've covered a lot of ground. I think there is a lot of awesome tips in there. To bring our interview to an end, I'd love any final comments you've got, like inspiration, motivation, things that you've found important for you, like networking stuff. We've kind of covered technology. I guess big ticket items that you would want to share with a hustler. You're talking to your 20-year-old self. What are you going to say? What, 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 what can you inspire, give tips, tricks, advice on? Be an optimist everywhere except your uh, financial analysis and your spreadsheet. There you should be an absolute negative Nancy. And that w- achieves? That you, don't, that you don't send yourself down a hole going broke. You don't put everything on red because you're convinced in your idea. It means that you're, you know, you, you're optimistic enough to go out there and get started. However, you're also a realist enough to know that everything takes twice as long, costs three times as much, and is half as successful as you dream it might be. That is a very common theme that has come out from a lot of people, is that when people sit down, there's a sense of naivety with every startup that you have and you go, and it turns out things take much longer Things cost more, you know, suppliers, people let you down. And I guess that links to how do you continue to find enthusiasm when these things occur? The, we, we are naturally programmed to remember and hold on to negative things. I think you need to which I'm guilty that I don't do it often enough, but I think you need to reflect on your life and reflect on your achievements and your successes and actually enjoy them. 
I need to take my own advice a lot of times, but I think you need to actually enjoy them so you so you have this this refuel. you're proud of what you achieved. Re- yeah, you refuel, you refuel your, your emotional tank. And I think by doing that, by having gone through the failures, you're acutely aware of the risk or the downside of the failure. And then if you're enjoying the the up the successes as well, you can be driven to get that next success. And you can hopefully be smart enough not to have too big a downside with the failure. Yep. Um, you are a busy man. You have taken your time out of your day, which I appreciate very much. You are weeks, two to six weeks, depending who we ask, away from launch. Would you be interested in coming back for a you know a fifteen minute special in seven or eight weeks so that we can all find out how you've gone? Absolutely. Love to. Awesome. I appreciate all of your time, your information. I think people are going to draw lots of ideas, tips, and tricks from what you've said. I'll include all the links for everything that you've described down in the footnotes. John Ellis, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I cannot wait to find out what happens next. Thanks, Maddie. You've been listening to the Sideshow Hustle Podcast. 